You're listening to Version Control, Pounding Grain's digital news podcast. Do you like your ads overt or slightly subliminal? Enter product placements. Love them or loathe them, the product placement is a time-honored selling tool that continues to evolve in the new mediascape. It was way back in 1955 that a young and irascible James Dean attempted to tame his untamable locks with an ace comb in Rebel Without a Cause. The prop caused a spike in sales for the combs, and with that, the product placement as we know it was born. You're tearing me apart! Some of them are about as subtle as a hammer blow to the head, like this one for Krispy Kreme, which featured heavily in the Power Rangers movie. Wait, what does that mean? What's it called? Some of them are a little more low-key, like the famous alien candy encounter from E.T., in which young Elliot befriends E.T. by offering him some Reese's Pieces. Luckily for both Elliot and Hershey, E.T. was an alien with a sweet tooth. Reese's Pieces sales shot up 65% in 1982. And then some are hilariously self-referential. I'm sorry, you're saying you want us to use the show to sell stuff? Look, I, I know how this sounds. No, come on, Jack, we're not doing that. We're not compromising the integrity of the show to sell. Wow, this is Diet Snapple? I know, it tastes just like regular Snapple, doesn't it? You should try Plumagranate. It's amazing. I only date guys who drink Snapple. Look, we all love Snapple. Uh, Lord knows I do, but focus here. There are tons of memorable examples of product placements in movies. However, TV actually accounts for 71% of all product placements. The rise of VOD services and the ability to record and skip ads have changed the game though. For example, Procter & Gamble recently backed an entire episode of the hit US show Blackish, in which the characters spent the duration of the episode discussing a P&G campaign that focuses on racial inequality called The Talk. We'll be working with Procter & Gamble on their campaign about The Talk. The Talk focuses on the conversations black parents have had with their children through the decades to prepare them for the racial bias that they may face in the world. Of course, to digital natives, the television commercial is only a thing that is whispered about from days of yore. Kids these days may, in fact, be product placement myopic. Far from being a dirty word in the influencer world, there is a 73% chance that a millennial follower will purchase an item based on a product placement in an influencer video. Though the product placement is ever evolving, it looks like it's here to stay. Join us as we take a ride into the belly of the product placement beast. Ah, Nothing like a coat to get us in the mood for some podcasting. Just joking by the way, Coke didn't sponsor this podcast. It's like people only do things because they get paid. And that's just really sad. Version Control presents episode 42, the product placement purview. And we're back for episode 42 of version control it's a weird one today because we have none of the jackson that's a terrible way to say that we have no jackson here which is super weird but he's he, with our hearts yeah our the first thing <laughs> so bad he, he didn't die jackson is not dead despite <laughs> no. ivana's tone he's fine everybody he didn't die but he is the forefather of version control 
and of Pound and Grain. So it's weird that he's not here. So shout outs to you, Jackson. But we do have a special guest instead, Andrea Gretsch, our community manager. Hi. Super excited to break out into song at any point in this pod. <laughs> and we also, of course, have Ivana. Hello. Our writer. And Scott. Hi. Our creative director, who once again, every time, is not a 10-year-old boy. He's an adult man. <laughs> he just sounds like a 10-year-old boy when he says hi. So our topic today is product placement. It's an interesting topic, uh, and it kind of spawned from... I went to a conference called Atomicon uh, last week where I kind of got this really cool chat from the, uh, the general manager of Pepsi's content creation studio, and his name is Lou Arbiter. And he kind of took the entire room through this amazing case study on Uncle Drew. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with Uncle Drew, but it's basically started as like this online Pepsi commercial that became so big that they actually made a feature film out of it. Um, and the reason it was interesting and we wanted to kind of bring it up today is because it started as a Pepsi commercial, but the movie itself has zero Pepsi references. Oh, um, which is a, a conscious choice by Pepsi um, is they just felt that they didn't want it to feel forced. They just wanted to make a great piece of entertainment brought to you by Pepsi. So it was the character, the Uncle Drew character, because I'm unaware of this. So it was the Uncle Drew character that people knew and loved. Yep. And then they like took it into a full feature length. Yeah, it was a crazy story. They talked about like it was they did a bunch of spinoffs online and it was super successful. And then uh, they commissioned somebody to write a screenplay for it and they sold it to like a production company. And then they made the movie and it made like 15 million dollars or something like that, like globally, which is pretty good if you think about it. Um, and the whole thing kind of started as a Pepsi commercial. It started as a reason for people to to when we're talking about product placement today it's kind of like the reason for people to see the brand and interact with it um and it just sort of evolved beyond what that was which is a really interesting talk did it do anything specifically for pepsi or is it just like i mean how how branded is it when you say created by pepsi it's very it's very low key in the right. way that they had branded it. Um, somebody asked specifically, like, is there a scene where somebody like drinks Pepsi? And he's like, no. If anything, it's like so subtle you you wouldn't even know. There's like a banner in the back of a basketball game that says Pepsi, and that's about it. I would almost argue that that is not a product placement, but it started as that. Right. So the original web series, the Uncle Drew web series, started as as a as a Pepsi commercial essentially where it was a piece of entertainment where the product itself was implemented throughout the entire thing. So there are people holding Pepsis on the sidelines when he's playing basketball, you know, they're in shots when they're doing interviews and stuff like that. And then slowly they just kind of phase it out. So I thought it would be interesting to kind of talk about that today because like is that the way that product placement is going especially coming from the age where it was very overt. And I shouldn't say was, it kind of is very overt in some in some places. So, like, what are some of the um, historically obvious product placement examples that you guys can think of? Well, I just did a bit of research on this, so I, I do know a lot of them right now. Um, but even before that, um, the Marty McFly Nikes definitely would have stuck, stuck out in my head. Um, yeah, great example of even, like, looking to what the future of a brand would look like. Mm -hmm. um, as per that particular one, I don't know if they were just like Nike was just such a part of the zeitgeist that it was written into the script or if you know there was some sort of like uh, dialogue between Nike and the studio to put that in 
Yeah, that's something I'm curious to know if any of you guys know how the process works because um, how product placement works is I I don't know. Like, does the filmmakers, they put a script together, they have ideas of how to incorporate some brands, maybe just because they want to be part of the pop culture and then they reach out for funding or is it like the other way? It's typically the other way where they're like, I want to get this movie made. Who's going to give me financing? And then Mountain right. Dew, will, for example, Mountain Dew comes and like, well, what if we put in an extreme skateboarding scene with Mountain Dew on, on the bottom of the skateboard? And then all of a sudden, Love Actually is a completely different movie. <laughs> yeah. I was, um, one of my favorite um, product placement uh, in movies is the Italian job with the Mini Coopers. Yeah. Um, and I was actually doing some reading and um, the movie um, creators went to uh, BMW to see if they would provide them with the... Uh, with the vehicles and they did. So I don't think in that case they actually paid for that placement. Um, they, But it was like a great opportunity for them, so. That would be an early example of one too because I mean the early 2000s one, like the Mark Wahlberg one was recreating the same scene with Mini Coopers that had been made in like the 60s or 70s, That's right, right yeah. They had the older version of the Mini Coopers. So yeah, that when that that's a pretty, pretty early uh, product placement. I think that, again, as I was reading, the product placement as we know it was kind of blown open, wide open by E.T. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with of Reese's all Pieces. With Reese's Pieces, yeah. So that's like 1982. So anything prior to that would be like a lot more subtle, I imagine. Well, what do you, how do you guys feel about the, the subtle kind of subliminal product placements versus like the really obvious ones? Because from my perspective, when it's really obvious and forced, it just feels kind of lazy. I'm like, oh, well, now I've... I'm, but it catches your attention, whereas like maybe subliminal stuff, maybe it doesn't even make an impact or lead to conversions. The, the way that I kind of look at it is, and, and, and speaking just sort of like the, where I feel like it's going, is I think if you're a brand and you're kind of partnering with a piece of entertainment, I think you either go completely overt and mm-hmm. say, this is the Reebok segment of this TV show that you're watching and everybody in this is going to be wearing Reeboks and we're not trying to hide it. Or you just, you just do similar to what Pepsi did with the Uncle Drew movie and say it's brought to you by. Um, one of the interesting things that we were kind of talking about earlier is just how savvy consumers are now, right? Like we know when we're being sold. And that, I think the same goes for product placement, which is why I think things like influencers are making such an impact because they're not hiding it. They're saying, H&M paid me a bunch of money to wear this shirt. Looks pretty damn good. Want to buy it? Converse to what you just said about them, Scott. I've read about some sort of like uh, people attacking it for like duplicity because they're because uh, an influencer is so grassroots and often it's something is is sort of like presented as an unboxing of a product that I wanted to try. So they don't mention that they're being sponsored by that product. They don't mention that the entire segment is essentially a commercial. It totally depends on the country the influencers from because in the last couple of years there was a big push to be more transparent about which spots are sponsored but there's still both sides there's like you kick off your video where you're like this video is sponsored by this brand that's one side of it but like with product placement in terms of influencers it still happens like if you scroll through an instagram feed like um calvin klein is like a huge one that's in a lot of the influencer space like they always are showing their clients um or, or a big one for influencers, for family vloggers, is Disney. Um, a lot of family, family vloggers go on trips to Disneyland that are like presumably paid for, and then obviously they're sharing all their content on Instagram, and they have to put up so many posts and videos. Um, but that's like the perfect in for Disney. Totally. 
Yeah, I saw a lot of uh, influencers um, posting stuff from Atlantis. I think they, they recently had a push as well in the Bahamas. So, you know, how do you guys feel about that? Is this person <laughs> has gone from being a, a personality that, you know, you might be organically attracted to whatever their content is to someone who's essentially hawking wares. Um, they've changed, they become like the, 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 like the slap chop guy from an infomercial <laughs> basically. Uh, is there any problems with that or is that okay? I, I personally, for the creators and influencers that I watch and respect, I know that they've got to make a living and if they're choosing their brands that they support and are placing their products um, and it's ones that they truly believe in, then I'm fine with that. Like I get it. I know you have to make some money and pay for your meals. Um, when it's something that I know is like forced and it's like a beauty guru sharing like a skateboard or something to bring it back to that example, like I'm not aligned with that. It's got to make sense. What about transparency uh, in, in terms of the sponsorship? I know you just mentioned that some countries or some, you know, influencers have come under more fire for it, but is it something that needs to happen? I think it does. I mean... I'm totally fine. Again, similar to what you were saying, Ivana, is like, I understand that a creator needs to make money. If, if like a brand is going to pay them to hawk their product, more power to them. Just don't try to trick anybody. Um, and I think that's where a lot of things f like fall flat. If they're, they're just like, they, they stumble upon this Reese's peanut butter cup out of, with zero context. And it's just like, the, it, there's a tasteful way of doing it, I find, um, that's not as overt in that way. And I kind of believe you either go completely over the top with it, like the old Wayne's World clip, mm. uh, <laughs> or 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 you just don't do it at all. Like you, you can do it like very subtly, and it's like this segment brought to you by Dasani Water, and mm -hmm. people so there's somebody drinking a glass of water. It's interesting that you you're um, saying that influencers should be completely transparent, but that's not really what we expect from like the movie world. For example, right? So, like a recent example that I had seen is um, Netflix has filmed all the boys I'd loved before. Classic. Classic. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, for all those teeny boppers out there that are listening to our podcast. And Scott. And Scott. <laughs> um, there's there's a the main character's best friend. Her main character trait is that she's obsessed with Subway, and they incorporate it by like there's a scene where she texts her friend, and then the text pops up on screen. There's like little Subway emojis, and it's like come with me for lunch, and then there's a scene of them under the bleachers enjoying Subway together. Um, and I felt I was like, oh, that's so obvious, but at least it was a little bit innovative. Um, the part that I did appreciate Subway for doing was like I saw someone. Um, I just read it in an article. Um, someone tweeted like, TBH, I ate at Subway for lunch today because I watched All the Boys I Loved Before last night. And then Subway replied, was like, did you eat it under the bleachers too, Kelly? Like, bring a tie back to the, to the movie. So I thought that was a clever way of like continuing that. Like they're being, they're like acknowledging that they did it. They're not like trying to hide it. So. I think, yeah, I think that's the key, right? Is like this whole idea where you have to trick people into into thinking they're watching a piece of entertainment when they're really watching an advertisement. I think that, and this is like, kind of goes back to where, uh, especially in terms of like social media, nobody wants to be tricked. I think if you're, and if you ever feel like you're tricked, you almost feel betrayed. And we kind of, I think it was the last pod we did, we talked a little bit about the Casey Neistat when he got tricked by Burger King and he was kind of like upset about that whole thing. Like nobody wants to be tricked. Nobody wants to be made a fool. 
No, I would say though that when you go into a movie, you're you're wandering into a fictionalized space in general. So you know, if something's up just a part of the the storyline, then I'm more apt to sort of accept that than I would be from an influencer, for instance, where you know, or you take it like it should be realistic. So when you say specifically movies, right? So let's say you're not in a movie theater though. Let's say you're watching like a Netflix movie. Does that, does that same rule apply? I mean, you're, it's a different medium than the theater. It does. I, I, for me, it does apply. Yes. I feel like, no, I don't want underhanded product placements coming at me necessarily, but if it's worked well into the storyline, into the fictional universe, yeah, I'm okay with that. And that would go for television shows and sort of, sort of long form content. So the, 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 and the only reason I bring this up is because we we mentioned it in the opening that that episode of Blackish. I'm not sure if you guys would watch that, yeah. but um, where they kind of referenced the entire P, uh, Procter and Gamble campaign on it. Did you feel that that was uh, subtle enough, or was that was that done in a way where you know they were paying homage to old product placement, or is that sort of the new age way of doing it? You think? I I liked it, and I think um, it is could be considered the new way of doing it. And I think it was a really good fit for that actual show because it was well aligned. And I think that that's um, just going back to what many of us are saying is when it fits naturally and it, um, it's, well, it's better received. So I think, I think it was um, done well on their part. So do you think the, the natural fit, do you think that comes from the creator of the entertainment side of it? Or do you think that it's a brand that can seek out types of entertainment that fit with their brand message? See, that's why I'm so interested to know more about the process because I recently watched Deadpool 2 again on the weekend and we had already talked about doing this podcast. So I guess I had kind of like, I was on the radar or it was on my radar looking for product placement. And um, there were so many one-liners that it, like almost would have went over my head, but because I was looking for it, I was so aware. Like you're he, also referencing the Ryan Reynolds effect too, and some yeah, like, but like people are just like, like there really was like, talented that way. <laughs> like simple lines, like next time we're Ubering, or like did you find this place on Tinder? Like it made sense. It was it made sense for the pop culture and for them tying into that. But it was so specific and little things, and they even had a line where they referenced Huggies wet wipes. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, there's no way Huggies reached out to Deadpool and was like, this makes this brand makes sense for us. So where does that was it the other way? Was it the creators writing that in and then reaching out? I think that's it's a really interesting point because I think the way that pop culture bleeds its way into entertainment is through products now. And it's a weird way to think about it, right? Because entertainment was essentially created for products. Like Saturday morning cartoons were created to sell toys. Um, and that kind of like evolved into comic book movies and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm thinking that what may have started um, as brands saying, I will fund your movie if you, or I'll give you money to make your movie if you include my product has gone the opposite now, where it's like, hey, I'm gonna include this reference to Uber. Mm -hmm. Um, You can give me money for it if you want, but if not, we're still gonna include it. So why do you think that they do that? Off the top of my head, I'm thinking that it makes the movie more relatable to audiences and yeah, I think, that they I think do it that? does. Yeah, I think products are a part of pop culture. So when you're mentioning them or using them within your plot, it kind of helps bring people into that world, like Nick was yes. saying. Where, as if it feels if it feels forced, you know, if all of a sudden, uh, you know, we're watching a movie that was made in the '80s and 
like a really, really old brand came in. It would feel out of context. It would feel very forced. So I think there is a, a, a place for it to come in naturally as long as it kind of fits well with the story. Totally. I always notice that with... <laughs> I, unfortunately, I don't have a great example just like on the top of my head, but I always notice it with cell phones in yes. shows and movies. Because like, it'll show a close-up of the phone to show a text or something, and it's like... Really, he uses a Nokia. Yeah, there was <laughs> or, what, or whatever it might be. Sidekick. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Another example where it was it felt forced, and I and there was kind of I don't want to use the word backlash. It was more of just like people on social media were like calling it out. Um, was Walking Dead? They whenever the zombie apocalypse hit, whatever year it happened, obviously car production would have stopped. And so they kept using like new like yeah. whatever Toyota Corollas or whatever, and people were like, that doesn't make sense. No. Uh, but it's interesting that you were saying, so it's almost like in, in, for movies and television, it's the creators directing it, directing, um, not directing the film, but directing which product placements would maybe make sense to fit in the script. But for influencers, it still seems that brands are reaching out to them. But I think that maybe what the key is, what is, um, Nick, you were saying like, oh, it's got to fit that fictional world for movies. And it doesn't make sense for bloggers because they're supposed to be real so maybe the trick for influencers is it has to fit into what they naturally and normally are doing so if it's something that they're wearing and they normally would wear cool if it's something like they do a lot of videos of um doing experiments or something like that i've seen people do videos where they they're like um oh i got my uh not Uber Eats. What's the one in the States where like they deliver? Postmates. Postmates. They're like, oh, I got Postmates to spend a bunch of money at a vintage store. And then they like brought it. I was like, that's entertaining. I don't know if they're like sponsored by Postmates, but if they are, that's cool because it still makes sense for that influencer. It's something that they would have done either way. Cool. I think it's, it's interesting though, because what you're kind of mentioning is the idea of product placement has transcended the placement of an actual product from the brand. <laughs> yeah. Because now creators are looking at it as like, man, I really want to use this drone and like, mm-hmm. I'm just going to put it in my piece of content without their permission because it's just cool. And people that are looking for stuff like that will find me. I was just going to ask that. But even more so, like taking it a step further, we've seen brands that have been born of an influencer like Kylie. But could you go the opposite way? Could you take a brand and birth an influencer out of it? Like, say, take a product and just create an influencer. Uh, that was Uncle Drew. That was Uncle Drew, isn't it? Right. So it works both ways, right? It kind of works in a sense that, like, I think just culture in general um, is influenced by the entertainment aspect of everything. You're, you see a world, you want to be in it, every, you kind of absorb the products, the culture, the way people are talking. And it's just part of the larger piece of sitting there for an hour and a half and losing yourself in what's in front of you. I think it's also dictated by... A sense of trust and we always I always bring this up but it's it's so essential to brands you look to or influencers you buy into if you are buying into a, a fictional world and a fictional character um, and then they use a product but you already love that character it makes sense that you're gonna also love that product and an example that comes to my mind which is so funny that we're filming this today because literally last night um, my boyfriend, Dean, he was like, I really want to get these shoes. And it was the Forrest Gump Nike Cortez shoes. And I was like, oh, those are sick. Yeah, you should get those. And that's like the perfect example of like what we were kind of calling um, reverse product placement of like, well, I guess that's not really reverse product placement because that wasn't a fictional brand. Oh, they already existed. Yeah, those yeah. already existed, but it made sense. And you loved Forrest Gump, so you're going to love the items that made sense to him in the storyline. Totally. They also remind me of George Costanza, just throwing that in there. <laughs> but uh, I kind of talked about it earlier. I frankly, 
for some reason have not watched the show. I've heard it's quite good. But has anyone watched Letter Kenny? Yes. No. No. Scott likes it. For those of us who don't know what it is, really, it's about Northern Ontario, uh, sort of like small town jock guys, as far as I understand it. Right, Scott? Yeah, it's a fictional Ontario town. So like Corner yeah. Gas, but Ontario? Yeah, and, and more like, um, uh, it's, it's always sunny in Philadelphia sort of vibe, ah. or Trailer Park Boys, mm-hmm. as I understand it. I'm anyway. going to withhold judgment on, <laughs> on critiquing Canadian fictional content. I don't want to be struck by lightning. <laughs> Struck by a snowstorm. Fair, yeah. To bring that back to product placement or reverse product placement more so, when they went from being a web series, graduated to being a um, like cable show, mm-hmm. they got more money, basically. They did a great tie-in with the LCBO where they launched the beer company that is in the show, a fictional beer company. They tied in with a brewery and they launched it in stores. And to great effect, apparently. Uh, a lot of people tried the beer first before they'd ever even seen the show. So that's just a wow. good little, good little example of it. Yeah, it's a yeah. smart one. And, and at this point, so where, I, I don't know if we know the answer to this, but like where do the profits go from that sale? Do that, does that go into the show? Does that go to the creators of the show? Does that go to the brewers? I would not be surprised if that's a wash on the part of the show. Like that's just marketing dollars. Mm-hmm. Like if that's part of the marketing spend, I, that would make perfect sense to me. I'm not really sure though. That's kind of, that's a funny thing um, because it's not like it's called the Letter Kenny beer, but that's how everybody would refer to it, I assume. Totally. But I think it's uh, interesting too um, because that would make it, it has an interesting brand story behind it. Totally. And it's a win-win because, um, especially because it ties in with the characters, I think, because it's just like a standard logger in our like <laughs> over... Zealous microbrew world. So yeah, so I think it was a smart one. It's a weird thing to think about. Like this tastes like a good TV show. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I talked to um, a friend uh, just yesterday, actually, who worked on a movie that is set in Italy, and part of their marketing plan is to launch a wine at the same time. Um, In what sense it's branded to the movie, I'm not exactly sure. Like, is it the movie title, or was it in the movie? I'm I don't know, but. Basically, I think, I'm pretty sure the, the Letterkenny beer was called Puppers. But basically, the Puppers model is, you know, might become more of the norm. I think, I think there's, there's quite a few products that have been born out of pieces of content. Like, um, apparently, Stadler never actually made red staplers until the movie Office Space. And then they had to wow. because everybody wanted them. But, I mean, there's stuff like that kind of, kind of happens. And I think it, it, it's a win-win, right? Like, the brand kind of get something out of it um, and then definitely the piece of entertainment kind of makes it they kind of help each other along um, and I think just in terms of like bringing it back to sort of social and digital like it's interesting to kind of see it kind of grow beyond the traditional screens right how are people going to be doing this in Facebook Messenger like talking to each other how are people going to be doing it in as a YouTube creator how are people going to be doing it on Instagram that aren't necessarily influencers and stuff like that so as content evolves it's interesting to see how product placement does the same and within those confines. Respect the hustle. Okay, and we're back for everyone's favorite segment, Respect the Hustle. Who wants to go first? I'll go first. Um, so 
I'm stealing this right out of our weekly wins column. Um, I don't know if anybody out there reads re weekly wins, but you should be. Um, Ivana Everyone wrote, does, Scott. Come Ivana on. wrote 57 of them or something like that. <laughs> um, uh, but one of the really cool links that Nick found for this week's edition of the Weekly Wins is the celebration of the internet. Um, so The Verge, which is one of our super favorite uh, sources for fun stuff online, um, basically did like, here's the last 30 years of things that you remember and things that kind of bring you back. So we're celebrating the, they're celebrating the 30th anniversary of online content essentially by throwing everything back. So there's images of like the first iteration of Amazon, uh, what Buzzfeed looked like in like the late nineties, how people would code in CSS. It was a super fun article and especially just like to be, see these images and just be like transported back and to marvel at how crappy they are. That oh yeah. Like really bad. Look at Hotmail. Sorry, we'll put this in the show notes. Um, but man, it, it just kind of really brings you back to dial-up culture. Yeah. ICQ. Yeah. ICQ. ICQ actually wasn't mentioned amazingly, but there is a lot of really like, I would see things and just be like, oh yeah, remember that? Remember Netflix? <laughs> remember Netflix used to, used <laughs> to like send, send away for DVDs? Yeah. The o one okay Cupid guys, old oh, stuff. Oh yeah, and you used to send them in the mail? Mm -hmm. the oh one, my gosh, Quap! Yeah, the pr predecessor of QWERTY. <laughs> Reddit looks pretty much the same. Yeah, that's funny. Reddit has not changed. Reddit and Craigslist are basically the same as they've always been. Strong Bad and Homestar Runner. That's amazing. So what a I, as, as we all kind of like trail down memory lane yeah. here, yeah. Uh, that, I, I think that's, I, I just respect the Verge in that sense in that they were like, the internet has, you know, sometimes doesn't provide us with the greatest things ever, but if you kind of like look at it through the lens of how, how much joy it's brought us in the last 30 years, it's, it, we can celebrate that. I even learned a couple new neat ones while I was like perusing that article. Um, so we'll definitely, we'll put it in the show notes so everybody can take a look through. One in particular was called Jenny Cam, which was the first life caster, essentially the first influencer uh, as we know it today. But she uploaded stills oh. and had a little blog to go along wow. with it in like the late 90s, like 90. She was done by 2003. How old was she? Like roughly in her 20s? She was, a, she was in her teens at the time. She was oh. in her dorm room. And... Uh, yeah, it's amazing. I'd never heard of this. Apparently, she was like quite the phenomenon. But um, I think she started when she was like 18. Yeah, but imagine that. So yeah. she had something at her peak, like 5 million visitors a day to her site where she was uploading stills of her life with a little, you know, like caption of what it was that she was doing. Oh, how times have changed. How times have changed. But what she's, is next? She was a pioneer. Mm -hmm. Cool. Good share, Scott. I stole it. <laughs> Still counts. Yeah. Um, my Respect the Hustle is a Netflix series that I started to watch called One Strange Rock. Um, not to be confused by 30 Rock or anything else that has the name the <laughs> Rock in it. Third Rock from the Sun. Yeah, that one too. That's what that, my friend told me about it. And I, that's where my mind went. I was like, what is this? <laughs> but anyway, so it's, it's um, similar to Planet Earth, but it's by National Geographic. Um, it's actually by Darren Aronofsky, which is like, it's beautifully shot. And it's hosted by Will Smith. Um, I'm just going to read this one line. It's a 10-part cinematic event series explores the fragility and wonder of planet Earth um, as the most peculiar, unique place in the universe. I've only watched one episode, but it was 
pretty mind-blowing there's parts of it where i was like oh this is cheesy but they shared things about how earth as a whole like really works as one living breathing planet and how on the far west like the deserts help fertilize the amazon on the east and how it all kind of comes together and it was incredible um so i was telling everyone that they need to watch it so i figured i would share it with you guys too and uh yeah good share looks beautiful yeah i have to say though i don't trust anything that will smith says yeah especially about the earth because he's a scientologist i know so that's the weird thing i i kind of was like ignore will smith it was just their play to have basically what we were talking about like a celebrity endorsement in it um but the first episode had um it was all with uh told from chris hadfield the canadian astronaut astronaut that everyone loves um so i loved the first episode i'm gonna watch the rest so that's my respect the hustle National Geographic has really set the bar high. Like they won the Academy Award this year for Free Solo, so I think they've really kind of upped their um, their documentary game lately. Mm-hmm. Man, Natty G's never been sleeping on those. <laughs> National Geographic has always been amazing. I still get yeah. the print magazine personally, like old man that I am. Put Nick, on my glasses and Nick lives in 1987 with my slippers. I still yeah. look at flyers. <laughs> well, that's a whole other ball game. We'll get into that. Later. A whole other podcast. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna do a whole one on Andrea's flyers, but <laughs> which I'm not receiving anymore. Oh no. Well, okay, sadness, but we'll go on to that later. <laughs> Offline. Uh, are we ready for mine? Yeah. Okay, I got a weird one too. I got to preamble it a little just to say that it is decidedly not incredibly digital, but it has a digital spin later in life, a rebirth. It is about artist Bob Ross. <gasps> I love Bob Ross. Yeah, and <laughs> basically what I respected of the hustle from Bob Ross, ridiculous as it sounds, is that he was a bit of a marketing genius in the sense that he did not have an afro. <laughs> that's it. That's, a, that's all I got. Because he created a brand of himself, realized, you know, like, so when he sort of, like, started out, he had this afro, I think, as a real look, realized that he needed to keep it and hated it for the rest of his life. Like, got no. perms, thought it was super, like, big and hot and stupid looking and took a lot of work, but... Because he'd created a brand of yeah. Bob Ross the artist with this afro. He spent the rest of his life getting his hair permed. Oh, God bless him. Yeah. So okay. I respect the hustle of Bob Ross's hairstyle. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's dedication to his own brand. If he didn't have it, would he have had this, you know? Yes. He's a I beautiful so. soul. He wouldn't, you wouldn't know who he was. I guarantee you wouldn't know who he was if he was not would, kind of ridiculous I know, looking. Man. I would argue that it's a voice. Yes. Maybe. It's, it's the yeah. voice. And like, obviously he's talented. Um, cause yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm going back on this. The fro does do it for me. <laughs> Guess we'll never know. Oh, it certainly doesn't hurt. No, it doesn't. You're right. Visually, you're like Mr. Rogers didn't have a fro, and he made an impact. He, he had the vest. Did have a look. Yeah, That's he had no he had a cardigan. He had the cardigan. Yeah. Sorry, right. not a vest, a cardigan. And his shoes. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, he, gotta have he a also, thing. You got to cultivate a look for sure. Yeah. That's great. R.I.P. Bob. I have R. a Bob R. Ross pop figure on my desk. Yes, you do. <laughs> Respect. Respect that hustle. Thanks for listening to Version Control, episode 42, the product placement purview. If you like what you've heard, don't forget to rate us on iTunes 